great. Hello and welcome to Game Changers with me, Vicki Abelson. And my guests tonight are wonderful friends, wonderful people, incredible actors and just brilliant Americans. I, I you know, I, I, you guys are, uh, it, it, it's Eliza and Eric Roberts. Yay, thank you guys so much for being here. Oh, okay, so my other feed is making noise. Wait, I gotta quiet it. Okay, there we go. Hi, you guys. You, you're, you're like the cutest people on the planet. Thank you very much. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I don't think we've ever been called, whatever you said, Americans before. <laughs> you are great Americans, though, because you guys, you, you're very political on your, on your social media, and you always have been. It, it isn't because of what's happening today, which we'll get to. But you also are humanists. You're, 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 you're animal activists. You're, are you vegans? You're, you're something like that, aren't you? Yeah. Vegan. Vegan. Hard-time <laughs> vegan. Hard vegan. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, we, we can't avoid talking about this first. So tell, tell me what you guys think about what happened today. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I don't want to go at all. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you guys have your masks on on clips hanging down. Yeah, yeah lanyard. I well, even have a sparkly one. If you put it down, you don't have it. You got to always have it. Yeah, and we and we always take them off, so you got to put them somewhere. Yeah. I love. Have you noticed that? Did you notice in the hearings uh, yesterday that all the Republicans were wearing them under their nose? They were wearing them because they were mandated, but they were under their nose. Yes. Yeah, so that's like not wearing a mask. It is not wearing masks. Not wearing. I mean, this is. We're getting so many deliveries instead of going anywhere. So you have to be prepared. Suddenly the Amazon guy's there or whatever, and you know you gotta have have this. It's I, I, I have to adapt this thing because I the lanyard is brilliant. I, okay. I no, oh it's so yeah. And it's only polite. To always have your mask ready in case anybody comes up. You know it's only polite now. Okay, so how? All right, we'll we'll talk about the idiot in a minute. Uh, we're here, so let's talk about this now. How the hell, Eric? Do you have 56 projects happening during COVID that are either filming in post-production, pre-production? And Eliza, how did you get him this work? And how, how are you doing this in, co in, in the pandemic? Well, let me just say what's happening. Um, when, when uh, you know, years and years ago, like 30 years ago, she, in fact, 1993-ish, she says to me, if you could do anything every day, what would it be, Eric? I say, I'd be on a movie set. She goes, well, that's not gonna happen. And then, and then, and then jump 2003, four, five, she, she, she said, this camera's coming with HD and everybody's gonna become their own little studio. It's gonna be interesting. Hmm. And by 2008, they were calling us indirectly that because you know, they were each their own little studio. So they just call her, they call the agent. They wouldn't. Uh, it, it was not. It was not a big deal anymore. It was. It was direct contact to to the movie maker. Right. So, so we got job offers every day from all over the world because everybody was their own studio suddenly. So from 2008 ish to 2018, we saw the world probably two or three times and made like 300 movies. We're in 300 movies, and uh, we 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 didn't star in all those movies. We 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 wouldn't have the time for that, but. We're in like 300 movies and we and we had fun and we and we met great people great young filmmakers from all over the world but covid okay you're saying because right, right in covid how how are you doing all of this work is do you feel safe okay wait 
first personal practice, how have you guys been living in COVID? Like you said, getting deliveries. I haven't been in a supermarket since March. Have, do you guys go to the market? No. no. I, I've gone a couple of times to old person time, you know, like it's six, seven in the morning, yeah. um, very carefully. And that went from gloves and the whole thing. And it's still really, really careful. I mean, there's someone outside who, you know, tells you which baskets are clean or cleansed and all that. Um, but very little, all the normal activities, no, you know. Um, I mean, everything. I, I wanted to take our little granddaughter up to to meet the horses uh, that Jules Stewart has. And, you know, my daughter and her wife were like, not now, not for, I don't know when. Maybe she'll hate horses by the time you want to do that. <laughs> but, but in, you know, we're just, we're just home. There have been some, we have gone on location. Um, we have done some work. It's always, you know, with unbelievable testing. They have COVID officers on set. You test every other day. Um, if they aren't, if they aren't new COVID ready for you, you you don't go to the set when they're when they're. So how much have you been on set, you guys? Because they they weren't even they weren't even sets for the first six months, right? So that's only been the last few months. How the hell do you have fifty six projects in this short? How is that even possible? Well, because since since the big guys can afford not to be shooting. Right. Um, the little indies have kind of taken over. I mean, their whole balance of everything has changed. First of all, he had to do the fifth installment of his Stock by My Doctor movies. I mean, you can't <laughs> not do that. Yes. They did it in a different state than they usually do it. And right. we started it and then had to start it again. We got zero positive tests of anybody in the casting crew. And it's wow. really different. You wear your own clothes. You do your own makeup. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. People are bringing their own partners to do love scenes. I was in it with Eric this time. I, I had to start wearing eyelash and strips instead of one at a time because <laughs> it was so hard. <laughs> I'm serious. Okay, so you haven't been on any sets where there has been any COVID? Well, no, we have one of the sets... Only one. We have been working a lot. I mean, considering. Yes, crazy. For us, very little. But one of the sets, all the way through, totally fine. So careful. My daughter does the catering. It's individually wrapped meals. And she's tested and her delivery person's tested. Um, they, uh, one of the, the very last day of testing, mm -hmm. someone in the in background tested positive. Yeah. And he was really away from everybody the whole time, but everyone in the entire show who'd ever done the show then retested and there were no other cases. It was just that one positive. He didn't get sick or anything, but he was positive. Lucky, lucky, lucky. That was the only time. Because it's luck. So has COVID hit you guys? Like, do you have people close to you who have gotten sick? And we have people, well, only in the surge. We had really nobody close to us the first time around. Right. And then with this surge, now we're noticing, yeah, several people close to us have had it. And a couple of them have been quite ill. They have not died, but um, one of them got really sick and he was a doctor. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. So are you guys COVID? I mean, I, I was telling you before we went live that I lead the COVID crazies. How COVID crazy are you guys? I mean, do you still wipe? The, I still wipe everything down. I put the mask on before I bring in the pack. Do you still do all of that? I, I do. The only thing I do out of the ordinary is I wash my hands a lot and I realize 
I never washed my hands before. <laughs> you know, men don't. My boyfriend never washes his hands. I, it's once I, a day. I mean, honestly, once a day I would wash my hands. <laughs> and, and now I'm, I'm doing it 30 times a day. So it's like very different, you know. But, we want to meet your boyfriend. Okay. Even if he doesn't wash his hands. <laughs> Have you, have you, no. he'll wash his hands before he shakes yours. So, but before you, uh, okay. So you've done all of this shooting and filming. I, I was point, it was pointed out to me by a Whovian that you've been doing a lot of, of the books on uh, audio books for Dr. Who is right as the master. Sure. Yeah. So, and so do you have a place in your home that you can record this stuff? How are you doing it? Well, now we were, we used to go to a studio that was in someone's home. Mm -hmm. and it was when they had the best rescue dog and it was just really wonderful the producer's in england and he'd fly over now we've become these total techies yes. i mean if keaton was here he could set it up for us yeah, we'd be you know, in heaven he has a studio yeah. and stuff but we i mean the one time we were really scared because they were like plug this into that and then you test this way and then you got the chip and the, and i was she just pulled like it off. she did the whole thing herself i just had her in yeah the, i don't know we do it remotely she did the whole thing herself we've done a whole yeah. movie that way yeah. just right here where we're sitting right now wait stop well, tell us about that in a few movies that wait way yeah, tell us what you can tell us about them okay one is called after masks okay. and it's about <laughs> Right? I didn't think that for a second, yes. Aftermath, and it's about this. There's a ton of great people in it, and we all filmed in our homes. Yeah. And um, and you know, you have the director on Zoom, and you do it remotely. And somebody's, I mean, it's really amazing what they're able to do. It's really wow. Cool. There's a whole. They have different rooms. Literally, they have. Um, okay, we're in the in the tech room now. Now we're in the cast room. Now you do table reads, everything, and then we wow. did. Um, Another movie, um, it was just a working title, so but it's so funny. But it was completely, you know, he was cast in it, but I read off camera with them, and they're like, Who's reading with you? Because if she's in your pod, then we're putting her in it. Yeah. So I love it. Life. And um, and you know, actually the first the first day of that shoot, we had someone who is in our pod, a young kid who knows he came and texted for us. That was amazing. But before we did the second day of shooting, someone he knew got COVID. And because he felt he might have been exposed, he never got it. That was when I had to do it all. I say I because he didn't help. <laughs> he did great. I did acting job. But I mean, I was amazed by what I learned to do. I she was it shocked off. out of my skull. She, she was our technique. So, you know, because I'm still, oh, well, I just changed. Yeah, it's all right. I, you know what? There's no shadows now, so it's fine. We, okay. we, can, we can see your beautiful faces. Okay. Uh, I've been very challenged when I first started doing this without uh, a, a person to do my tech. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of disasters. The picture looked terrible for a while. The sound was awful. It, it, there was a learning curve to becoming yes. a techie, um, which I would rather not have to do. But... So you've made these series of films. You've gone out. Have you ever felt unsafe? Have you felt unsafe on any of these? Yeah, issues? a couple of times, a couple of times. And you you bring it up. You don't stay quiet and polite. You say, guys, you have to keep distance. We have to keep on the mats. We have to pay attention, blah, blah, blah. But you don't have to go crazy. But that was also in the earlier days. You now, now everybody kind of really adheres to it. You know, they're, they're really good about it because nobody wants to get sick. 
Okay, well, my experience is a little different. I do feel unsafe. And I, I'll sit there just saying, how stupid are we? How stupid are we? We're so dumb. I can't believe that. You know, but you need to work. I mean, we just, you, you need to work. And I, and I feel terrible for everyone who just can't. But the difference, like I did a moral compass. Well, I mean, they've got it together. They literally, they say masks on, masks off. Everyone's got their mask on. Just when you're talking in your scene, you can't be there for people's off camera. They keep you apart as much as they possibly can. I mean, for your off camera, for that. Right. And if you have any kissing scenes, they- uh, Okay, how do you do that? Yeah, they bring in your other half and your other half stands in for the actors that's and kiss you. What, yeah, that's what the soaps are doing. I've been, I've, been, I've been kissing her all the time lately. That is so, I had no idea. That is so brilliant. Cheat. So brilliant. Yeah. I heard that they have mask wranglers on some set where oh, you yeah. have a person who just hands you your mask and, yes, and yeah. the shield. We had that on stopped. There was somebody <laughs> who was just there to hand the shield, hand the mask, to take off the, you know, yeah. Crazy. And, okay, so you were talking about your pod. Like my son hasn't even been in my house since small. It's it, it, it's heartbreaking. I go to his backyard and I have full full body plastic bags so I can hug and kiss him. I swear to God, I really do. And I was doing that with my beau for like eight months too. So who's in your who do you who do you let who's in your pod? Two assistants. Uh, no, we don't see them. Four, no. Well, we don't. No, it's tiny. Oh, I mean, it, who comes it, in? Your, who do you let in your house? No, no, only my, and this took a while. My daughter and the baby. Mm -hmm. um, my daughter's wife is a nurse. So she kind of steers clear of almost everybody. Right. My students, I teach on Zoom. Um, we have, you know, my mom is gone from this earth. I know, I'm so sorry about Lila. Pod. I know, that was really rough. Um, it really, really is limited, Vic. Um, my, my what about Keaton? Is Keaton in your pod? Keaton he's is, in Nashville. He's in Nashville, but when we were shooting stock, I did drive there. Um, I had tests oh. with me. I tested because of set. He and Hannah tested. And then I got to be there with them. And that was amazing. Um, but they're really careful too. They don't see anybody. Um, for those of you watching at home, Keaton Simons will be with us next week. As long as there are still televisions working and the world has not blown up and gone crazy. Uh, Keaton's a trooper and he's willing to go ahead and do it. <laughs> Wait till the last minute to find out. Um, so you, so how was it to, okay, so driving to Nashville, I'm sorry, but to me, that scares the hell out of me. How do you stay in hotels? How do you safely do that? Um, well, the hotels, you know, you ask a lot of questions and they, you don't know if you believe their answers, but they tell you what protocols they're following mm -hmm. and that they've had no cases and all that. Mostly you don't, you kind of, you avoid hotels. There's like, for instance, when we did Stocked, right. Um, was houses and they really had to go through a lot to be sure that everything was okay this was after people weren't so worried about surfaces so there were no people like you didn't see the people i tried to turn off those notifications but i, I that's okay that's okay don't worry just little eye chat so um probably some of the audience is are the ones i chat I'm, I'm looking at the comments so we'll we'll go to some questions in a bit yeah um but, you know, the planes are interesting. You know, you have- Oh my God, you flew? We flew. The only time I feel unsafe is on an airplane. 
How the hell did you do that? With I mean, you, did you go to the bathroom on the plane? What What did you do to protect yourselves on an airplane? An airplane, you know, for one thing, they serve nothing, not even a glass of water. I mean, they, they sometimes they serve one bottle of water. Um, they're very strict themselves, mm -hmm. um, and it's just completely no frills. There's nobody in the middle seat. We flew together, so it was just us. And even then, nobody, it was, you know, him at the window and me at the, in the aisle. Right. Flew, there was nobody next to him at all. Um, and you're just, people are just very, very far away from each other. I've done some filming at the airport and in the plane just to show what it's like. Um, but it is, it, it is scary. We have not, since the surge, we have not flown. Um, but Eric's about to fly. Really? Yeah, in a few days. Then you wonder if you're ever going to be able to come back. So what? What? Uh, I assume you're doing this for a role. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, how can you, how can you make your yourself feel as safe as possible? I mean, I understand the seats are separate. You're not taking your mask. Do you have like special masks for when you fly? Better than a surgical mask? Something more protective than that? Yeah, it's a it's a lettered thing, like a V1 mask. So I mean, I forget the letter on it, but yeah. It's it's the only real mask to have on a plane, and you have to have that, and uh, yeah. and because then then the germs you can't get in at all, and you have to keep it on, and, uh, and you know it it is what it is, you know, and the fact that uh, we're inconvenienced with the mask is not the end of the world as far as I'm concerned. It's really okay, and uh, especially who who I feel bad for are the kids, you know, the uh, the teenagers, you know, from. From uh, from a twelve to twenty two, you know that's that's when you want to be all like snuggly and close and flirtatious and talk and tell secrets and blah blah blah. And they can't do any of that. Now we're fine with it, <laughs> but you know we've been married one hundred and fifty years. You know it's different. You know is it twenty seven? Is that the right number of years? Twenty eight. Twenty eight. Oh, I'm one behind. Okay, I knew the last time I saw you it was twenty seven. You, you guys are amazing. But you know it was something interesting as an aside. My daughter met her beau in COVID and they met on Tinder and they were just a couple of miles from each other and they did the whole thing on FaceTime for months. And then they finally met with masks and then they decided they were both at the same level of precaution of not seeing or doing anything. So they put each other in each other's bubble and they've been living together for six months now. Oh my God, that's- And they're madly in love and it's a tin, cool. it's, it's a COVID love story. And it's working. That's oh COVID my God, it's incredible. So I know. they really know because if you're living together, you're living together. Yeah. So oh God, yeah. There's yes. no <laughs> that is amazing. Congratulations. That's but so, so I'm, I wasn't happy about it when it's, I was terrified when it started, but it's, and they've been also flying over the holiday, which I, yeah, I don't want to say. People are flying just to visit. I, I, I can't, um, I can't imagine that. It's, it feels too risky. I just, I just noticed Wait, something I want to share with you. What? Yes. You see my fingernail? Yeah. That's, oh. that's, that's my first manicure by our granddaughter, Georgia. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fingernail polish and like half a fingernail that she got on there. She gave us all the manicure, including yeah. herself. You, yeah. you know, I hope you that's know. the only manicure you've had in pandemic. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it <laughs> oh, is. it is. No, this salons is. are closed. No, well, uh, no. Well, I don't think the salons are closed, actually, which is the thing that, you know, okay. they say we're in another stay at home except for and the except for is basically 
everything. Everything's yeah. open. It's yeah. tons yeah. of traffic. It's not smart. No, no, it's not smart. It's scary. All right, wait, I'm going to a question because I'm seeing it, even though we haven't gone into career yet. Can you ask Eric what he hopes is in store for Dr. Beck's character? What would he like to see in Beck's future? Do you think he'll ever find love and be happy? Well, Dr. Beck is going to find religion, Ooh. love, and settle down. Oh, wow. God. <laughs> He's serious, Eric. No, Dr. Beck uh, <laughs> has gone a little too far over the edge for me. It's gone a little slasher for my taste. I hope he gets a little more cerebral coming up. Uh, but uh, yeah, he, he's actually become dangerous, which, uh, which, which. He was always dangerous. <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. Danger's relative though. He's, he's become a you physical understand. danger to have on the streets now. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, yeah I know he's not going to say, I hope he doesn't settle down and find a lot. I mean, how can he? He's got, he's got quite a track record going on there. Um, so, uh, but we did, but we, there is another installment that's going to air soon. So we want everybody to Stop know Stop by my doctor, part five. We're up to Stranger in the Attic, it's called. It Love it. In an attic. Okay, so since we're going to come back to career, but sit, oh, I got to thank you for you. So before we come back to career, since we were talking about being dangerous, let's talk about what happened today a little bit, because you guys are very political. You're very political in life, on your pages. You're, you're socially forward-thinking humans uh, and humanists. So what do you think about what happened today? You want me to speak because they're so worried about it? Well, very quickly, uh, uh, it's not about having an opinion or being on a side. It's about the fact of this is ridiculous. It's just a fact. What's going on is ridiculous. It's not an opinion or, or a choice. It's ridiculous. And it's pointless. It's embarrassing. It's a waste of time. And it's going to get in the way of the next administration. And uh, that's really all I have to say. I feel like, you know, you're right. We're humanists. So to, for us, the bottom line is kindness. It's really, it's really don't contribute to suffering. Ever. So if everyone followed that, the hardest thing about this, Vicki, is, you know, we all know in personal relationships how hard it is when you really see someone clearly and they don't see themselves clearly. That's right. painful. And, you know, and when somebody's delusional or just not able to look in a mirror, we all have that somewhat. This is such a dangerous manifestation of that. There's no way that the people who are causing this harm are in any way capable of realizing the reality of this. Um, they're not even real, able to realize the reality of the fact that everyone went out to vote to be sure that Trump was not reelected and that's what happened. We succeeded at that. They don't even, re they really don't. So, so the rage and frustration and fear that you feel knowing these people have kids, they've been running around with no masks and stuff. And with this ideology and this rhetoric and these actions, they have children. That is child abuse right there. It's just none of it's okay. This is, you know, this is like being in, a, in an abusive relationship and not being able to get out. We're all in an abusive relationship and not able to get out. You know? Absolutely. Do you, are you, are you hopeful about the future? Yeah, somehow. <laughs> are you? Well, you have to be, yeah. You have to be or you have to quit. So, yeah. 
Sure. Are you I mean, are you concerned about next Wednesday? I'm concerned about it for everybody. Not 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 concerned about it for oh I hope it's a mess up the inauguration, but just just to uh, to mess up. Uh, yeah. So everybody everybody's going to be uncomfortable, and it's all because of one guy's unhappiness, and it's not fair to anybody involved. Mm -hmm. It's all because he's unhappy. So he's going to ruin a day for everybody. And it's millions of people he's going to ruin a day for. And even if he doesn't ruin the day, because of what's happened, the day's going to be tainted. The Absolutely. day's going to be shadowed. And it's not, it's not acceptable. And he's already ruined it. And it hasn't even come. And I really disrespect him for that, totally, if not everything else he's done. But what do you think about Eric? What do you think about the the speech that he made today? Uh, a, vid a video, obviously shot under great duress, that he was forced, I'm sure, forced to do. The uh, uh, the uh, the fact that he left out that Joe Biden is our president yeah. remind the whole thing for me. But he had to do it because, look, 70 million people voted for him. Those 70 million people didn't storm the Capitol. What happened was the. Timothy McVeigh's stormed the Capitol, right. and th those are a minority. Mm -hmm. They 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 aren't those seventy million who voted for him. Those are good Republicans. But but the the ones who who uh, who who stormed the Capitol are Timothy McVeigh's, and I hope the FBI really follows through and nails every single one of them for doing that. And uh, and it it would be just fantastic. And that's how that's 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 what should happen. Did you because see the FBI warning just two hours ago that I'm they've sorry, got? I'm thinking, was the FBI warning? It was about well, see, I'm I'm afraid of real. I'm afraid for Kamala, and I don't know if there's enough security to even protect her and Biden. Well, I knew that the warning was that that they plan to attack the the capital of every state. What's the new thing? A couple hours okay, ago. So th this is what the FBI said. This is what the New York Times uh, post. Uh, posted just uh, about two hours ago, federal intelligence officials warned that armed militia groups and racist extremists are targeting the presidential inauguration next week. Federal officials warned police chiefs in major cities during a call on Wednesday to be on high alert with generous intelligence in police departments around the country amped up for preparations for the week leading into the inauguration. My, it makes me so sad because it's so frightening for all the wrong reasons. Oh my God, this is not cool. It's really, really scary. I mean, it's and, it's, it's a whole other world. Nothing we've experienced in, in America ever. I mean, I think I think Trump's in the White House because of the reaction to Obama. It's like a slingshot. Okay, let's go the other way because you know we we do that. We love going A and then go Z and then go back to A. We do that all the time. <laughs> And, 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 uh, and it just makes me so disheartened to think that we're not, we're, we're not, we're not kind enough to want new good things for those who come after us, you know, and uh, I, since that's the easy part, why don't we do that, you know, just be, you know, as my, as my wife is famous now for saying, and has taught me to live by, she goes, when in doubt, give. And if you, if you have a question about it, give. And uh, I, I love this about you guys. When did this start for each of you that you became socially aware, humanly? Were you raised this way? Did it come? I, 
she she's she 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 kind of came out of the womb this way. Uh, <laughs> I only started adapting this properly at about our thousandth day together in our third or fourth year together. But uh, but uh, but yeah, I too you know believe in this. I I didn't have to have to have to turn one eighty, but uh, but to practice it when you're not you know you know you know built that way, which I'm not. Mm-hmm. was it was a strain and I had to learn to enjoy it like 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 you learn how to enjoy fans and you, you learn how to enjoy them mm-hmm. yeah tell us a little bit about that tell us how you learn to enjoy fans Eric seriously well when they when they when they first ascend upon you they make you nervous yeah but then you realize every one of them has had an experience with you that they treasure, that's why they're there in the room with you. That's why they're there. Right. And once you realize that really, once you're in their shoes, you can be with them. And once you're with them, you've made a memory for both of you. That's a beautiful thing. I really, I adore that. So so let's go back to these. Somebody asked, and I'm, it's a good place to jump in. What character did you play on Another World? I, I put in the post that that that's where you started. That that I I was in another world addict. Um, how did you get on another world? How did that start for you, Eric? Uh, uh, it was one of the first auditions I ever got uh, with with the with the manager I had for about for about ten years, and uh, and uh, I got the part. And uh, but I was a trained stage actor, and I was very serious. And I was okay actor. I, I wasn't great, but I was solid. And uh, but I was terrible on that. I mean, I was embarrassingly bad on that. <laughs> I mean, no, no I, I'm 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 probably I'm probably one of my three biggest fans. But I was terrible. <laughs> Wait, what character were you? Because I don't even remember, honestly. I played and... the, I played the first Ted Bancroft. Oh God. And yeah, they fired me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Now Paul Roush calls me, and I'm doing the show for about. You know, four or five months, he calls me and he goes, have a seat, young man. I do. He goes, are you a writer? I said, no, sir. That's right. You're not a writer. You are an actor. And why do you keep rewriting your dialogue? And I very proudly said, never change another actor's cue, sir. He said, that's not the point. The point is you can't change your dialogue. If you do it again, I'll fire you. I said, okay, yes, sir. Went back to work. And I was a good boy for about 10 days. And then I changed the line. He calls me again, you're fired. And wow. that was it. Yeah. Okay, that leads to a question, and we'll come back to the, the career building, but how the hell do you learn your lines at this stage of life? I'm 65. I can't keep five things in my head. How do you learn lines at this stage of life? I'm serious. Yeah. How do you do it? Yeah. I have no problem learning lines one show at a time. No problem at all. I got a show. I got to learn my lines. I'm an actor. what I do. But when you have a show on Friday... You have a show on Saturday, and it's a night shoot Saturday, and you're going to have to go ha- have to do a pickup shot early Sunday morning after you wrap Saturday night. And oops, yeah, you have to rewrite of that scene that they didn't get shot the other week. You say to them, "Okay, I can do it all. I'll need cue cards." And so about one out of three ends up being on cue cards, uh-huh. but. You have to be very familiar with it. So you glance at the card. You don't stop and read it. You just right. glance. That is. You just glance. You know what it says. And you keep talking. As opposed to talking about, it, oh, man, read my card. You don't do that. because right. it. So you have to do homework. But you don't have to stay up all night and not sleep. 
Do you so, have a trick for memorizing? Give it a check. Do I have a trick? Yeah, it's called yeah. repetition. Everybody's trick over and over and over until, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's what that is. Do you start with like the first line and keep doing the first line until you have the first line, then you move on? Like, is do you do a paragraph? Do you do a line by line? How, how do you, how does the repetition? I do, I do a beat by beat. You know, whatever the beat is, whatever, you know, the subject is, I, I learn, I learn those lines, those phrases, and then I move on. Yeah. Okay, so am I, I you know, I, I didn't do my homework to remember this. In Georgia, are you from Georgia? I grew, I spent half my, half my, half my young life in Georgia, about eight years in a row, yeah. We love Georgia very, very, very much. Um, we love Georgia. So how did the acting, how did, how did this bug hit you? How did it start for you, Eric? And then we'll talk to you, Eliza, about yours. That's great. I had a terrible stutter as a kid and I found out Wow. If, if I if I memorize things, I could talk without stuttering. Really? So it became freedom. Oh my God, I could speak. If I knew what I was going to say, I could talk without stuttering. I had a terrible stutter. It was so horrible that in grammar school, whenever it goes around the room and reads, I would stutter and the whole class would laugh. I would never get through what I had to read because everybody would laugh and they'd move on. So I was very self-conscious about it. And it was hard. But if I memorized stuff, I could talk. So it was- Wait, wait, Eric, did somebody teach you this trick or did you figure this out for yourself? I found it out on my own. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, then, and, then, and then I would, I would, I would like, I would like count the kids and I would count the lines and I would learn mine. Invariably, somebody would mess up. And like, <laughs> you know, but, but you know, that's okay, but it would happen now and then. But, uh, but yeah, it just, it just became, a really handy tool at first, you know, then it became fun. Then I got good at it. Then I got what I thought was very good at it. Then I decided, Hey, I'm better than all these guys in this room. And then, and then I decided I'm going to be an actor. And, uh, and I just, I, I've, I've always chased it and I've always loved it. And I met somebody who's as good or better actor than I've ever been and I like her and I can turn to her and say, I need help on this thing. And she's become my, you know, she's coach, everybody's anybody anyway, but but I have an in-house coach. I, oh, I, I love that so much. Yeah. Uh, Eliza, how did you start? How did the, the bug hit you? Um, in let me, let me just say one oh. thing before she starts, because my wife won't ever tell you this. She's from show business royalty. Her father's an Oscar winner. He wrote a bunch of screenplays that everybody knows. Yeah, tell her, us, tell us what they are. Wrote and produced and directed all the Lucy series, all the black and white ones. It did, did you know, was, was one of the co-writers and all in the family, all kinds of big okay. stuff on TV. And uh, she's from show business royalty in both you know, film and television. I mean, classic television, Dick Van Dyke. I mean, stuff that's really cool. She'll never tell you this, so I had to. <laughs> I'm glad you did. Um, that was definitely part of the catching the bug. Um, it, it is true. Hey, tell us your father's name. Did Eric say your father's name? My biological father was David Raphael. And you wrote Three Days of the Condor, Out of Africa, The Way We Were, The Firm, etc. One of the writers on, shall we say, because there were other writers of course um and then my adopted dad who I considered to be my dad was don garrett who was a publicist for you know everything the jackson five the flintstones the the jetsons just tons of great stuff michael my mom, jackson after he was on his own right my mom was lila garrett 
um, who's an Emmy award-winning sitcom writer, producer, director. And then my stepfathers were Mort Lockman and Bernie Kahn. I mean, everybody, everybody was in the business. So I, I started, it first got to me when I was just a little girl and I did like Wonderama or something just as a kid on a set. I mean, a baby, like a three-year-old. And then the first school play. And I just was so madly in love with it. Um, that particular way of pretending for a living, basically. But I hid it and pretended I wanted to be a doctor because I wanted to wait until it was happening before I acknowledged that I loved this thing. <laughs> I didn't want to be wanting. I wanted to be there. Um, so I really did. I really did hide it for a really long time. But I, I knew immediately. It just, it's just, you know, some people are like, oh, I performed. It was horrible. I never want to do that again. And but for those of us who love it, it's just, you know, it's incredibly compelling. And it's Somebody just, just said you were on episodes of All in the Family. I don't think I knew that. Was that through Lila that you did that? It was through Mort Lockman, my stepdad, who was the executive producer. Um, he had a role. He was looking for somewhere to stick me in there. And so um, he had a role. Ellen Travolta and I were both on the show. Wow. And... Um, so he, you know, both of us were there and it was so cute. John came to the taping and I mean, it was so much fun. So um, yeah, so Mort gave me a, a part in the show and people always hit me up and they're like, I saw you on all the family. I kind of forgot about having done it, but it was amazing. That was an amazing week. I mean, this was not the doing of it, but besides the show being what it was, was very memorable because that kind of talent, mm -hmm. you know, oh my God, it was just incredible. Those people were amazing. So before we move back to Eric, how, how did Animal House, I mean, you are in one of the most iconic movies that has ever been, and you are in like one of the most iconic scenes of the most iconic movie. So how did, how did that happen for you? And did um, you know when you were doing it that it was, did you have any clue? We had no clue. None of us had any clue. And people should be aware of that because you just, you think that you, you'd know you know that you're gonna make it or you know that the movie's gonna be, you do not know. I mean, you can feel both at the same time. You can be like, oh, this is it. And also I have no idea. In this case, we thought it was a big inside joke. Like we were shooting and we, we just thought, nobody's gonna get this movie. We're just cracking ourselves up. We didn't know at all. It was so not fancy and it didn't feel like a big movie. Plus comedies, long form comedy, they didn't hit the way that Animal House did in those days. That right. was really nuts um the way it came about um i went to oakwood here in los angeles mm -hmm. john landis had gone to oakwood before i ever started he's a little older and he'd got, been thrown out very early in his really? high school career mm -hmm. yeah he he like jumped off the roof of a building into the swimming pool or so i mean like he just drove me crazy <laughs> so he um retired from education and started making eight millimeter films in his mom's house and then I moved to England and um, he was over in Europe. He got himself, he snuck onto the set of Kelly's Heroes and got himself a role as a nun. And he was touring around Europe and I was in a production of The Crucible. I was 16 years old um, in England and he saw it. And when I came back to the States and by then I was 17, I got a phone call. He said, um, I'm doing a movie called Schlock. I want you to star in it. It's $50 a day, $25 deferred. <laughs> and um, I did schlock. And then, and then I got a, John and I became really good friends. And then I got another call from him 
um, when I was pregnant with Keaton. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm doing another movie. It's called Animal House. I have to have a girl. It's a great part just to take her shirt off. I can't stand these auditions. It's so embarrassing. And so, you know, we're friends. Just will you do the role? That was the other role, Shelly Dubinsky, the one with Tim Matheson. And I said, um, sure, but you should know I'm pregnant. So taking my shirt off, you know, when are you shooting? <laughs> uh, today? Because that might work. <laughs> and um, he was like, oh, we don't start for like four months. Okay, wait. And he just called me back a few minutes later. He's like, okay, I wrote another role for you. And that's how wow. I am. No. Wow, I love that. Okay, so... Somebody just said, rest in peace, uh, uh, Fawn Leibowitz. <laughs> so, okay, so Eric, so how did it turn for you from your disastrous Another World to, uh, what, what What was the first thing that went right for you? It was called King of the Gypsies. And oh, uh, God, after, what a after Another World, I got in repertory company of uh, Joe Paps at a public theater. And he used now, did you study theater in school? Well, you, you said that you studied acting. Uh, so I, you, I, I grew up doing theater. I, I, I did my first play at four. Of course, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was in a play at four. And, uh, and, I, and I got in repertory theater, so I was doing eight to 12 plays every year of my life from the time I'm five years old till, I'm, till I leave home. And, now, uh, wait, wait, was your mom, were your parents theater people? My 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 mom and dad <laughs> opened an acting school called That's the Acting what I okay. Writers Workshop, sponsored in part by the Martin Luther King Foundation, and my father patterned it after Joe Papp's theater in New York. And wow. we had the showmobile, and we toured the underprivileged areas all week, and had theater in the park on the weekends <laughs> on the big stage, and uh, we would do eight to twelve plays a year, and that's how I grew up. Every year of my life, my whole life has always been Joe Bidnitz. And wow. uh, well, okay, so so how did King of the Gypsies happen? Uh, it, the one well, uh, I got I got fired from another world. I went I went I went back to to the theater, and mm -hmm. uh, and because uh, that's only only people who would have me. <laughs> and then uh, and then and then and then my manager at the time said, "There's this movie." That the director and the writer is Frank Pearson. Uh -huh. He is. I said, yeah, I'm a fan. You know, he wrote, produced a movie she was in just before mine, uh, Barbara Streisand, The Star Is Born. Anyway, it was it was Frank Pearson. He won an Oscar for for uh, for Cat Ballou, and uh, and uh, he wrote uh, Dog Day Afternoon. All kinds of wow. big guy. Anyway, big big a big a big star writer director, and he uh, he wrote. And directed the uh, the last Star Wars born, like I said. Anyway, he was doing this movie uh, based on Peter Moss's biography called King of the Gypsies. It was a true story about this kid who was a Romanian gypsy. And uh, film. And, uh, and 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 uh, and uh, so he gave me the script. I read it. I auditioned a couple of times. I got a screen test. I went in. Frank. Pearson told that, you know, Del Rentis, that's who I want. He said, that's who you want. So you got, and I got a movie career, just like that, bang. So how, how, okay, so how did you move, you moved from one film into the another after that, didn't you? No, uh, I got no? that film and I got, I got offers for everything and uh, wanted to do everything. Okay, like wait, that. what did you turn down? Tell me something you turned down that you're sorry you turned down. 
Well, I'll bring up the uh, the uh, first one that broke my heart, and that I was I was guided to turn it down because he said if I played it, I would it was it was going to be a hit, and I was going to be cast an adolescent for the next thirty years. So be careful if you get famous for playing adolescents. Be smart. Don't do it. So I didn't do it. It was called Breaking Away, and oh. a bicycle movie. Right. And uh, I really wanted to play that part. I've got really skinny ass legs, but I really wanted to play that part. And uh, and but I was talked out of like I was I was I was talked out of a three picture deal because you know they wanted to to uh, to uh, to make me into 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 a matinee idol or whatever it is. And I was a great actor, so I had to held out. So I did, <laughs> for what I don't know. But anyway, so the, a bunch of things I don't, I don't regret because everything led to what I did. And I love what I did and I've loved my life. So I don't really, I, I don't have a complaint about it. Good. But there are things that I missed that I shouldn't have. But, but uh, besides that, I've been really lucky and I have this and, <laughs> and I, I, I'm really happy and proud of this. You guys are pretty amazing. Um, I want what you guys are, ha I, you guys are great. Uh, and you know what I, what I love most about you guys uh, is the respect that you have for each other uh, above and, you know, a lot of people love each other. A lot of people are attracted to each other. A lot of people like each other, but the respect that you guys have and show to each other is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Wow, she, she makes it really bad. I have said the worst things you can say to anybody to this woman. <laughs> well, not, 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 not in front of me, you haven't. Um, so, so Eric, somebody just asked if, if they could, oh, first I just wanna say that, it, that it's been noted on the thread that, that people think Stalked by My Doctor is some of the greatest work that you've ever done in your career, by the way. Wow, that's it's true, I, I agree. You know why I make those movies? For one reason, they're fun to make. Are they? As simple as that. From from the because you know the uh, organized the uh, the first one it started weird because I was I was making a movie I was in night shoots but I read the script stopped by my doctor I said to my wife I want to play this part but they gotta change the title I can't do a thing called stalk by my doctor <laughs> because now you're stuck with it because the whole series of movies they 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 want to do two of them and they want to call them the stop by my doctor movies. I'm like, oh, Liza, okay, but I really like it. But here's the problem. I'm in this movie that's very dialogue heavy in night shoots. It ends in night shoots, the last week in night shoots. And right. Next morning, I'm on the stock by my doctor's set. And I have lots of dialogue. I need cue cards. Okay. So she asked for it. And they say yes. But I... I I arrive on the set. I, I, I left another set. I've been working all night. I arrive on the set and I said, thank God I'm here. I love your movie. And the other uh, director says to me, did you even read it? <laughs> because I had the cue cards. He thought I was just going to read cards, you know? Oh, God. But so, and it, it crushed me because I was there because I loved his work so much. And he was already insulted and we, we, we didn't even know each other yet. So it got off to a rough start, but it became great because we both loved what we were doing. It was, it was he was, he's a great writer and he was a fun director and we had a great time together as it turned out. But so then, so then we, 
We made this through and it went through the roof at, where, where is it? Not TNT, uh, Lifetime. It went through the roof. So they said, we're going to make another like we wanted to. Yay. And it went into the roof even bigger. So we're going to make three. And it went bigger. We made four. It went bigger. Wow. So five. And they're just fun to make. The only complaint I have mm -hmm. is they're becoming a little slashery. Wow. I would love them to be more cerebral. Each like film, I like I like kill more people. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody just said you can tell that you love playing the part that it shows. Yeah, uh, it's so it really is vintage Eric Roberts work. I mean, we've had people great established. David Duchovny watches them and has said to me, <laughs> I, you know, Eric is so courageous in that performance. I mean, he really, you know, goes so deep. He, it's really good work. You don't expect it. You think, right. it's a lifetime movie. What well, you know, it is what it is. Um, the stalked by <clears throat> series goes beyond doctor. That was the point. Was they were doing stalked by my babysitter, stalked by my teachers. It had to be stalked by. Right. Um, but he um, he really does put his heart and soul into it. So you get the vulnerability and everything. I mean, it's weird. You wouldn't expect it in this, but it gives him a chance to do all that, and he and he cares. Plus, now he plays two characters. Two or three characters in it. He plays his own alter ego, uh, you know. And it's but part of the reason it's fun is the people. We love that group. They're organized. You're, you know, my favorite producer of my adult life. Really, yeah. and Sanders. Oh, we adore them. Yeah. So okay, so um, Star Eighty. Okay, maybe one of the most terrifying. Maybe the most, I, I, I don't think I could watch it. Like I want to watch it again because I want to watch it now that I know you, but I don't know if I can watch it again. It took me a long time to be able to watch you in something else because you scared the shit out of me in that movie. You know, you know why I have to watch it again now is because now that you know me, you know, it's a movie, you know, it's performance, blah, 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 blah. Watch it again for the movie making. Bob Fosse made the most incredible docudrama, documentary drama, ever made in the history of cinema. That it film is so incredible. Bob Fosse was a genius. Mm -hmm. And it's an overused and abused word, but he was a genius. And that movie is genius. And that movie makes you feel you live that experience. Totally live that experience. Did you know when you were making that movie, did you have any idea of what, what, what you were doing? Did you know what you were doing when you were doing it? Uh, that's a, that's a great big question, and uh, I've been asked that very specifically many times. And I used to answer that from 1983 to 1993. I would say, yeah, I knew what I was doing. But then, as I've gotten older, I realized I told Bob Fosse, you know, I'm your puppet. Tell me what you want to do. I can do anything but you got to tell me exactly what you want. He said, you got a deal. And that's how we worked together. He would say, I want A, B, C, D, and I want red. I want scarlet red because tomorrow we're, we're, uh, we're, we're going to go pink. He would talk in all these images like that. Wow. And, we had a great thing going on and we killed it. We, we, uh, I just, I, I was his puppet. Can I say something about Starity? Because it actually ties into what we were talking about, about, the conditions of the world and some of people's actions. Absolutely, please. You know, when people talk about their childhood mm -hmm. and 
they talk about, well, I don't understand why people are in therapy or in program or whatever treatment. Right. Um, you know, that was that's old history. Are you over it? Don't you grow out of it? No, the psyche, it's a perfect example. The character he played in Star 80, the people who are perpetrating these crimes against other people and against the world now, um, Donald Trump himself, mm -hmm. um, the, there are reasons, there are psychological reasons why people end up in this condition. And it's really easy to condemn and hate them and everything. But the fact is you have to get ahead of it before it ever happens. And, you know, this was a disturbed person that he played who, you know, it manifested and you can just say, oh, he was evil. Probably not. My mom and Phil Donahue did a thing years ago, Vicki, that, um, I mean, she was so ahead of her time and so was Phil Donahue. They interviewed a bunch of, of white supremacists and racists. Wow. And they interviewed them and their children. And the people allowed their children because they were proud of the of what the ideology they taught their children. Right. And you had three and four year olds saying horrible racist things, not knowing. And even some of the kids saying things like, "But I don't understand why my daddy feels that way about um, you know people of color, or whatever." Because I have a friend in school, but I can't tell my daddy, and it breaks your heart. And you realize this person is going to be damaged forever through no fault of his own. They also did interviews years later. She put this together with Warren Beatty and, and, um, and Phil Donahue and Marlo. Of some of the kids, many of them stayed that way. They stayed hateful mm -hmm. and some of them didn't. They broke away from their families, became exactly the opposite, found mm -hmm. their way back to their families and there was all this healing that went on. But you, after the fact, you can't fix it. It's an ounce of prevention. That's why we're so into the Natural Child Project, which is an Alice Miller-based thing. This is tell, a person who's tell, tell, tell about that a little bit. Jenna, okay, Alice Miller wrote a book called For Your Own Good. She studied Nazi, the Nazis mm -hmm. and Nazi culture and how did Hitler become the monster he became. Mm -hmm. And it's all child abuse and, you know, but really severe mental bending. And... Um, and oh, a woman in the we can say that this is part of what happened to the, the idiot in chief? Because uh, they say his father was that way, right? 100%, because most abuse is not overt. It's very subtle. It's mm -hmm. tiny things that we many of us think are okay to say to kids that are not okay at all. They, they're doing a storyline on This Is Us about that right now, where this poor woman was just bent by her father, thinking he was doing the right thing. And it was such horrible mind-bending abuse it destroyed many lives generations of lives so yeah so this is yeah absolutely trump is horrifically damaged mm -hmm. he's obsessed right now with this thing he has these delusions we can say oh he's a liar like it's an accusation yeah he's a liar he he, he it it's a sickness and a dangerous one mm -hmm. paul snyder was an incredibly dangerous and very very sick guy Okay, so that so I'm sorry to interrupt you, but Eric, when you were preparing for Paul Snyder, did did you you had to have empathy for him? You had to you had to love yourself, right? Did you love yourself? Well, I still think it also, but what was good? How did you embody him? Paul Snyder didn't love himself, so I didn't have that to carry. <laughs> but uh, I didn't love himself, but I mean, but 
But here's the thing about you found what to love in him, I assume, is what I'm trying to say. Eric Roberts found what to love in Paul, I, I would imagine. It's not that's that's the wrong terminology because it gives the wrong image. Okay, so tell me the right, tell me what's you find acceptance, you find you find comfort, you find you find satisfaction. You don't find, uh, and, 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 and that's as close as you can get. As far as the intimate feelings that, that, that you have as yourself for things, like, you know, when you feel love for a person and stuff, you can't, you can't go there through other characters, or at least I can't. Okay. I can't get but but uh, Paul, Paul, you know, I just, I just, I spent time with his brother, and his brother was, I was told, a calm version of him. We didn't spend a lot of time together, but just a bit, just a minutes. And uh, right. and and I I got I got I got a glimpse into the whole physicality, and mm-hmm. uh, and 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 I just I just well. You were so specific in that. You were so. Here's, here's where the specificity comes from. It's from one. What said for me? Specificity, but okay. Specific, <laughs> specificity comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Is Bob Fosse says to me one day, we're doing a scene. It was probably in the second week of shooting, and we shot now for almost six months. So, uh, wow. uh, he, uh, uh, I'm playing guitar in my underwear and I'm singing a song, and I messed up the song and I said, Cut. Well, you don't say cut on a Fosse set unless you're Fosse. He, like, he wants to have everything play out. Right. So he gets kind of bothered. He goes, Come here. And he walks away. I said, what's going on? Come here. And he walks across this huge soundstage of Zoetrug, walks the other side of it. So it's kind of half a football field big. So I have to walk wow. over there in the with my guitar. And I walk over there. What's up, dude? He goes, look at me. I said, I'm looking at you. Look at me. I said, look at me. He goes, you're playing me if I weren't successful. Do you understand? And wow. on, the back, on the way back to the set, I watched how he walked and I started playing Bob Fosse. Wow. I I don't think I've ever heard you tell that before. That's amazing. Yeah, but if you ask Eric, it's very interesting what you were saying, Vicki, you're on the exact right track. Eric would say, he didn't say it right now, but he would say, well, Paul Snyder, you know, he started Chippendales, which was a brilliant idea. And if he hadn't gotten in his own way, he would have done very well. Now that's what you expect to hear from the guy. You, you know, that there's, hey, they're good qualities. Wait, he would have been a winner if only they hadn't this or he hadn't that. If and he so, hadn't killed her and yeah. killed himself, See what I mean? he'd have been fine. I don't know. <laughs> but the point is, yes, he definitely had the thinking. He was behind in the thinking of the guy, not aware of it. I mean, to me, that, that was less a performance. It was more channeling of something that God knows how he tapped into it. Just... I, I mean, when he walked into Hefner's house as Snyder and had that kind of wannabe, losery, wanting to be in the in crowd for all the wrong reasons and thinking you are when everybody is turned off to you and you think you're, you know, you're wonderful and that the seas are parting for you. Right. And Eric, that's so not Eric. Like when we go to an event, Eric's kind of like, oh, do we have to be here? Can we go home now? I mean, he's, he doesn't need anybody to notice him. <laughs> he doesn't fit in anywhere in Hollywood. And this guy, I, I've never seen, I don't even know if Eric could describe that quality. I have no idea where he got it. Just pure intuition and instinct. 
but he definitely was able to, he, he doesn't do it that much because I think I've made him self-conscious about it. He would defend Paul Snyder, just like Paul Snyder would defend Paul Snyder. That's what I imagined. Um, yeah. It happens. That really happens. I it's wouldn't defend terrible. Paul Snyder. What I said, but, but it is true. I've said it a thousand times. Look, Chip and Dale, he'd have gotten very rich, very successful. He'd have been happy to shut up. He'd have been satisfied that he accomplished something. He left her alone. If he hadn't gone that far yet, it'd have been okay. No, because he was destined for that other thing because of his psychological. I know problems. you're right. And I hate it. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Before I, before I sat down with you guys last time, I interviewed Peter Bogdanovich and spent a couple of, spent many hours with him. Dorothy Stratton being his. Yeah. Obsession. Yes, and uh, so hearing his take on that whole thing, very interesting. But uh, very. do you, did you, do you, I don't want to say, do you forgive him? How do you forgive him? He, uh, monstrous. Paul Steiner? Yeah. Oh, no, you can't. No, when you, no, no that's So you can't true. forgive him, but you have. But I had to play him, so I but you had, had empathy, right? You had to have empathy to play him, right? I think, I think, I think you have to think the wrong word. Wrong word too, because because I, I think yeah. that's kind. I think I think what it is is when you recognize something, and you get a hold of it, and you can own it, that you just pretend it's okay <laughs> to be that. And and you and you get through it, and then when you're done with it, you go, "Wow, I'm tired. That was hard." And so, and Eric, do you take that stuff home with you when you're playing a character like that? Are you a method actor? Are you an inside out, outside in? When you're playing somebody like Paul, what do you like when you go home? I do whatever works for the moment and the part and the circumstances, blah, blah, and it's always different and it's always Love evolving. That. It's always changing. Mm -hmm. And it's like life. Every day is supposedly the same. You know, you uh, you uh, you uh, get up, eat. You uh, you uh, go to work. You uh, you come home, you eat. You uh, you kiss your wife. You go to bed. Every, but but every day is very different. Well, it's the same thing in acting. It's the same thing in your in your in your character and your homework. Every day is the same, but every day is completely different. And you just you just you you just. I, I just want to tell you, my beau tells me that all the time. Every, every day is different, and I want to. No, how, can't you be the same just a little bit? It, it makes for saying. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that flow, but it, it, it just hear that. And by the way, I just want to say, I just got a text from my daughter that I couldn't help noticing. She just got cast in a film that, in a, in a small film, and in, in this film cooperative, she just got the role she did. Congratulations. Her, yes, yay. Um, she went to Tisch. She went to NYU Tisch, and, and, and so this wow. is a very exciting wow. uh, thing for her. Um, so okay, so so let's talk about the Pope of Greenwich Village because I don't know if it gets more iconic than that. I mean, everybody was writing on the thread. You took my thought. You know, it's 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 like on the minds. Everybody who's anybody who's in our generation can can hear that line, can see you in that part. Um, what was that like? What was that experience like for you? Well, uh, let me let me start at the beginning and go very quickly for you. Okay. Uh, in January of that year, we made that movie, 1984, five, six, whatever that was. Uh, it was it was it was January of that year. I was up in Hartford doing you know you know Glass Menagerie because Tennessee Williams had just died, so I was playing a Tom Wingfield like everybody else in the world was then. 
that month. And uh, I, got, I got sent this book and screenplay by Vinnie Patrick, Vincent Patrick, called The Pope of Greenwich Village. I was told, pick a part by the producers. Pick a part, look at the book, pick a part. I read the book, I read the script, I picked Polly. They said, we want you to pick Charlie. I said, why? They said, because he's handsome, he's a leading man, he's cool like you, blah, blah, blah. We thought you'd pick Charlie. And he's got cool clothes. And we know you'll <laughs> like clothes. We, we <laughs> I said, nah, but, but uh, Polly's a better part. If I can play it the, the way I want to play it. And the way it's written, he's a tough street thug. And he's even got a deep voice. And he's even you know, described as a big guy. Uh-huh. I want to play him like a weasel. I want to play him like all these guys that I, that I, that I watch downtown who are mama's boys, but they want to be tough guys. I want to play that. You guys got to let me play that so I can play this part like that. They said, you got it. Now that's January. Right. So March, April, May, June, July, and August. And I lost 30 pounds and I perm my hair. And I learned every okay, last time. How did you do that? You were skinny to begin with. How the hell did you lose 30 pounds? Uh, I weighed like 160 pounds. Then I got down to 130 pounds. But, but how, did you do, how did you do that? I just stopped eating. I didn't know anything about dieting then, and I didn't know anything. I would eat, I would eat a fruit in the morning, yeah, and kind of stupid dessert in the evening. That's what I ate. That's how I lost that weight. Wow, maybe I'll try that. <laughs> maybe I'll try that. Stop it. No, I'm actually on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm eating my birthday. Um, okay, so nothing. I just did that. Okay, so you show up and you have permed hair and you've lost 30 pounds. And what's the reaction when you get on set? Well, no, I'm not on set yet. We, uh, the, uh, the uh, then director okay. uh, 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 asked for two weeks of rehearsal. Great, cool, we'll do that. I love rehearsal. Yeah. So, so, I, so I show up ready to go. And after the third day of rehearsal, he asked me to stay out. It was just, it was just me and Mickey in rehearsals. And after the third day of rehearsals, he asked me to stay after and talk to him, so I do. So what's up, dude? He goes, why are you so skinny? As if I have a drug problem. I'm like, because <laughs> I want to be a walking spaz attack. He goes, hmm, wh- why'd you perm your hair? I said, same thing, walking spaz attack. He goes, what is a walking spaz attack? He's all, <laughs> John Belushi, only skinny. He goes, dude, wow. this guy's a tough thug. You're playing a sissy. <laughs> And I said, no, that's how he's written. But I told the producers I was going to do this. I hope this isn't a surprise. He goes, no, it's just we totally disagree. He said, I, this isn't the movie I want to make. He says, I would like you to resign. I said, well, wow, let me think about it. I was going nowhere. I've been working on this on this for eight months. I mean, this is this is my love of my life at that moment in my, in, in, in my life. And, uh, and I've been sleeping with this girl for eight months every day. I really <laughs> like her. You know, I'm not going to give her up that easy. And uh, so I said, well, let me think about it. But I walk around the hotel. Uh-huh. And, wow. Wow. I was so excited to come be so ready to play this part after eight months of getting ready. And, oh, God. I'm so-, so I go up to, uh, to Mickey's room. Mickey, the, uh, the director asked me to resign. What? So we call the producers and we tell the producers and they fired that director 
and they're brought in Stuart Rosenberg, who directed a great movie called The Pope of Greenwich Village. <laughs> so that's it in a nutshell. And uh, Mickey Rourke was the hardest, most, most difficult, most unprepared really? genius I have ever enjoyed working with. He was a nightmare, but you know, he's, he's, he's brilliant. Wow. Yeah. Wow. The most unprepared. And yet he pulled in that performance. That was just. He would, he would show up hours late every day, never know his lines. He wow. would say, we, we had the same conversation every day. Hey, Ace, sorry, I'm late. What are you shooting? I've seen 87. I know the number. What happens? Oh, <laughs> this, 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 and this. Oh, wow, 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 wow. You know your lines? Yeah, good. <laughs> because he, he knew nothing. So, wow. so my, my character is kind of based on me giving myself my own cues. <laughs> wow. But, but the, the, the relationship that he and I developed really uh, ca came off and it worked. Um, I'm giving a thank you to you from Ron Fitzsimmons for supporting their his charity, Alicia's Kids. Oh, uh, yes. I'm glad he's watching. Hi, we Ron. love that. Yeah. And um, and somebody said that. Uh, oh wait, somebody's thanking you for something else. Um, somebody's saying what a heartthrob you are. Um, yes, we've done that. Thing. Uh, and 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 it, it, Eliza, they want you to know that they love Keaton. And uh, oh, good, I'm actually here. We love uh, Keaton. And and we're going to talk about Keaton in in a minute in in terms of what happened with celebrity. But, but we have we'll go we'll go to that in a second. But okay, so last film that I want to ask you about specifically to get nominated for Runaway Train. I mean, after all the your body of work for that to be so, what was Run Runaway Train like for you? How was that experience for you? Well, it was interesting because and that was also a real, you know, character change from the script. And oh, really? That, and that uh, same, same with Pope, you know, we had to, had to, had to, had to undo it, you know. Well, that was, that was also, he was in prison for statutory rape. Okay, so that's the thing that's very tricky. So you got to play somebody that's also, you know, believable that that's why you're there. But it's not going to gross you out where you can't watch him. Right. So walk a line you know so you can't you know play somebody who likes little girls you know but you can't you can't be an innocent so he was written also a tough guy from new york and i said you know i can't forgive a tough guy from new york for sleeping with somebody underage i can't i can't forgive that that's not comfortable that doesn't sit well with me but if I can talk like this, so I have kind of a child's voice, so I made a boo-boo. Well, you know, she said she was 14. She, she, uh, she said she was 19. I didn't know she was 14. I didn't know. Had I known, <laughs> I'd have never kissed her. You know, so, so it's understandable how it could happen. So I said to the guys, our producers, who are both from Israel, I said, I'm going to play this with a Southern accent, and I'm going to also make his voice kind of high, so he talks like this, so he's not dangerous sounding, you know? And uh, they said, uh, they, they, they couldn't hear accents. They're from Israel. They don't know. They just said, go, do it. So, so then, and also my, uh, my, director. my uh, director was Russian, so he didn't hear an accent. So I just did that, and it worked. <laughs> and also, 
I just want to say, because it gets overlooked, because, you know, we as actors, we, we are talking about ourselves way too much. John Voight, that part, that portrayal, he weighed 160 pounds when he played that part. He's six foot two. He wow. was way up. He wears a whole body suit. So he looks like a monster and he plays a monster. And he's yeah. brilliant. Ah, oh, he's brilliant. And watch, watch Coming Home and Runaway Train back to back. You can't believe that actor. I just watched Midnight Cowboy. I hadn't seen it in a million years. And it's astounding. He's astounding. It's a great movie. I mean, it's an unbelievable film. Yeah. But the, but the portrayal in Coming Home, the portrayal in Runaway yeah. Train. Oh, my God, man. What was he like to work with? You know what was great about John and I is John and I are on opposite ends of the political spectrum. Right. And I've been warned about that. I've been told you're going to be uncomfortable, dude. You're not going to be happy. I'm sorry. John's going to make a liberal Democrat. Uh, John's going to make you very unhappy, Eric, because he's the opposite of what you are politically. I'm like, I'm not going to talk politics to John, but and we never did, not once. It never really? crossed our mind. We just taught work every day, wow. and we killed it. And uh, but wow. just work. And as a working mate, he's one of my three favorites of my 43-year career. Okay, tell me the other two. Well, this is one. <laughs> yeah. And? You think I'm good? Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to hold it. Okay. But yeah, so, John, John's one of my very favorites I ever worked with because he and I killed it. And we, we, would, we would like plan our killings. Okay, I'm doing this, you're doing this, for this, and we're going to do it, bye bye, and go. And we just killed it. And we, had a director who didn't even speak English, you know, you know, very well. So he and I just, we, we had the best time together. Just two actors killing it. We had so much fun. And that train was frightening. Was it for real? 40 miles an hour. In fact, I got, I got, I, I joined the Stuntman's Association in 1982 because of these you know, circumstances that happened. I got the Stuntman's Association. So I was doing stunts, wow. And, and then, and then I'm on runaway train with John, a stunt double. And I'm behind them on the outside of the train and we're walking and the train's going about 40 miles an hour and it's cold. Oh my God. And we're all tied off and everything and we're safe. Uh -huh. But I, 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 I slipped about this much. Whew. And I realized, wow, I could be dead. And I never did another stunt. Uh, I'll do this in a fight scene. Oh, okay, good. And that's, that's <laughs> all I do. That's all wow. I do. So I realized... I have no business doing that stuff. I don't know who I thought I was, but I'm not a stuntman. And I, I'm, I'm just not brave anymore like that. Okay, so I have, I have two questions from, from the peanut gallery here. One is, if you could pick one of your roles to reboot, what would it be? What does that mean? To do a reboot. In other words, if they, did, if they revisited one of your films, which one do you think you would well, most only with Mickey, but it would be Pope. Mm -hmm. But here's what we have to do, because your Mickey looks like a different person now. Yes, he does. You have to open up with him being badly beaten up because of something I cause, because I'm the F up in this relationship. Wow. To be hurt. So I then have to take care. So I have to be his partner, even though he hates it. <laughs> and so that's how it has to start. And we have to go from there. You know, so, I hope somebody who, in, who could make that happen is listening to this because that would be brilliant. We 
have to make it you know, believable in how Mickey looks now, or else that's all they'll talk about. So we right. have to make it, we have to make it, you know, you know, valid. It looks different in a lot. That is a brilliant idea. Okay, another question that I just saw is how did you gain the weight back? How how did you get healthy again after losing that 30 pounds so quickly? Did it take you a while to get back to yourself or? Well, the next, the next movie that I made after that was uh, The Coca-Cola Kid in Australia. And uh, uh, I, I, just, I just gained it back very slowly off of Australian seafood. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, that's cool. And so how is it to work on like the Dark Knight, which is like, uh, I'm going to move into like the Dark Knight and Doctor Who and like, because those are completely different characters for you. So it, when things have a lot of special effects and all of that stuff, do you enjoy that? Is it, be what's that like for you? I got a great story for you. Okay, okay. Dark Knight, all the Chicago stuff in Chicago. Then we're supposedly going to Pinewood. We've, we've, we both shot at Pinewood, we know Pinewood, and we like it. Great, we're going to Pinewood, we love Pinewood, here we go. And we go over there, no, it's not Pinewood. It's up at the old Zeppelin hangar, which is 30 miles north of London. And the Zeppelin hangar is about three stories tall and about three football fields wide. And it's where they had, had, the, had, had, had the Zeppelin in 1909, or whenever it was, 1910, 1912, whatever it was. And, uh, and you walk in, they open the doors, and bang, it's all Gotham City. And if you're a movie geek, which I am, you're in heaven. It is wow. so cool. It is so cool. And, yeah. it just, and it just it just takes you back to this is Oh no, you hard. froze. Wait, I can't hear you. Oh, we froze? What, you can't hear us? You froze from, you're back. You're oh, back. Yeah. So I didn't hear you after you walk in and boom, for, an old, for a movie guy, it's, I'm, okay, after that. Yeah, it, it was it, for for a for a for a movie geek. It's heaven. You walk in, and it's like the old world. This old beautiful old soundstage from 20th century or something. All the stuff, all the city lights, all the stuff, wow. all the street. It's ah, all Gotham City, and it's just a fantasy come true. And shooting that film had to be like it was back in the old days of the of the studio system because you know making movies is a fascist system you have a dictator and everybody else <laughs> and everybody has to follow his interpretation his his aim his shot right. and so, uh and that's how it was you're working for 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 the man and uh he was spectacular and uh he and emma his wife they're the bosses, and uh, and uh, Wally, uh, the DP. What's a what's a Wally's last name? Fister. Fister. Wally Fister shot that movie, and I believe, even though it would have been the hit it is anyway, I believe he's part of why it's such a fantastic movie because you know visually that movie has never been seen before or since. It's so fantastic visually. Gorgeous. Wally. Fantastic. Okay, so now Doctor Who. I, I could I can only imagine that you had absolutely no idea when you took that first part that what this would become. I mean, Whovians are insane. I mean, I can't tell you how many messages I got. With your whole career, that's what everybody's focused on. And the fact that Eliza, you played Eric's wife on, yeah. on so how did this happen? Then we're going to talk about how you became how that happened in real life. But so what was the what was what's the whole Doctor Who experience for you? I got approached years ago 
to uh, to play the master uh, on 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 an American pilot for for Doctor Who. We're gonna we're gonna do a series, but here's here's the TV movie. Will 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 you play the master? I said oh, sure. One thing because I I knew I knew about Doctor Who when when I'd been in England. So great Doctor Who, what fun! So I do it. And then it goes away. We never hear anything. And then years pass, and suddenly it's back. And 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 the Whovians are are tens of millions of people. Yes, they are. Yeah, at the conventions, it's been well. There are, we don't have conventions now, but it was fantastic because so peaceful and and the multi generational. There'd be little kids dressed with the scarves with their parents, it was something that they shared and they shared it with their parents. And it, it was just absolutely beautiful, very passionate. It's very heady stuff. And they are the you know, gentle fans though. They're wonderful, oh, gentle, yeah. Yeah, lovely. How, Eliza, how did you come to, to, to be cast as the wife, as Eric's wife? They just, uh, the director was, um, he was British. He was an Animal House fan and he um, just offered me the role. And so that was fun because that was his other character, Bruce, the ambulance driver. And he mm -hmm. got to kill me in that movie uh, that we shot in Canada. It was just a total pleasure. We're still really close with Daphne. I mean, what a wonderful cast, great people. And, but we didn't realize, it's another situation where you didn't realize what a big deal it was gonna be and how lasting it was gonna be. I mean, that's just wonderful. So when you when you guys are out in the world, is I, I would I'm guessing that's one of the things you're most recognized for. Is that one of the things you're most recognized for? That's more when we're um, we're most appreciated for, and that's more at the conventions. Most recognized, well, for me, it's Animal House, of course, but right. for Eric, it's this now. It's the stalked movies and Pope and Best of the Best. What do you say? Yeah, the stock movies, especially overseas, the stock wow. movies, all the foreign airports, doctor, 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 they all know the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody said, uh, do you remember working with Johnny Depp in Slow Burn? Sure. Jo I was told, uh, uh, I was, I was doing a, it was, it was a Beverly D'Angelo movie for HBO. Would I be in it? Sure. And you, 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 have a scene with a young actor who's going to be her son. Uh, we're 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 going to probably offer the role to a Johnny Depp. Do you know who he is? I said no. So well, he can't get a job because he's so handsome. I said really? They said yeah, no, he's so handsome. Wait till you see him. <laughs> so I see him, and they're right. He's like this 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 angelic looking kid. Anyway, so and, right. and he came and he played her son, and he was just wonderful to be around. He was a great cat. That's really so long. lovely. Um, so if somebody's asking, Eric, do you, what, do you have any projects coming up? He has 56 projects coming up. Of the 56 projects that you've got coming up, is there anything you're really excited about to come out? Is, is there something that you've done recently that you're thrilled about? You know, even to say the title embarrasses me, Stop on My Doctor Part 5. <laughs> It, you know what? It's a wonderful, wonderful, entertaining film to watch. You're gonna love it. And I uh, it got it got a little too slashery for me, but it's gonna be fun to watch. I and, love uh, that. And uh, all my girls are always so good. They give me these great girls. 
They give me these great girls. The lead I, actresses. Yeah, yes. I get, I get, I get these mothers and these daughters, and they're so great. And they I all great actors. Yeah. Somebody said, Eric, do you plan on making movies until you, till you go, till you leave? And I'm guessing that's true. I guess I'm guessing that's a yes on that question. Well, you know, in a fairy tale, yes, but in reality, you know, I saw both of her parents grow old and go away, and uh, and and I have a hard time thinking about being that old. I, I have a hard time with it. Um, because I knew her parents uh, for uh, for thirty years, right? And so I knew them when they were a year younger than I am now, uh, and so it's like wow. And so to to think about age, I I I have to stop considering age after seventy. I, I just can't see it. I can't perceive it. I can't think of me being seventy one, two, three, four, five, six, and acting. I don't know. It's frightening to even think about. And I understand I am I am elderly and I'm going to get old. I understand, <laughs> but I don't want. But it 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 makes me feel funny to think about it with a with a career involved. Does that make sense a, at all? Yes, it does. It makes total sense. And there's a really nice advantage to having just turned sixty five because I'm going to be able to get the vaccine soon. I just found out yesterday. Right. <laughs> just lowered it from seventy five to sixty five is going to be the. Oh, they did. Yeah, they lowered it yesterday. So, um, so let's talk about how you guys met for for people who don't know the story. Oh, wait. Before we get to you, one more career thing. Burn this. Doing burn this. Uh, what was that experience like for you? Well, uh, to sum it up, I got a standing ovation every single show except the matinees. And <laughs> the old ladies were there. <laughs> they every, couldn't stand. That's all. Every time a whole house, especially a like a like big Broadway house, this is a nine hundred seat house, which is a small Broadway house, but it's a big house. Every time they stand up like that, <laughs> it makes you cry. It makes you sob because. They're saying you're the man, and oh my God, it rips a hole in your heart. You can't believe you're appreciated like that. And so that alone, I mean, I love acting like I love my wife every day. I love what I do, man. I'm so lucky to do it, and I get some great parts. I get some dumb parts. I have fun playing them, but I get some great parts. And this was a great part, pale, P-A-L-E, pale. He was fantastic, and I got to play him, and every evening they would stand up, and every evening it would make me cry, because every evening I'd feel this big, because all those people appreciated me, oh. and it, it's the most incredible experience I've ever had. I suppose I'm talking about my ego, I guess. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I think that's heart center. I, 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 I guess there's a little, there's some ego in there, but I think that's also your soul merging with an audience's soul and the two of you're all coming together and having this experience together. That they would hit their feet and I would just, oh my God, it was like somebody, somebody punched me right in the middle of the forehead, bam, oh my God. And, but every time it happened, it had the same effect on me, it never altered. And, and, I, and, I, and I never expected it to, like, oh, here it comes. It was never like that. It was like, oh, it would hit me like somebody sucker punched me. 
every single night. You are, you and I also, we cry when anybody gets a standing ovation. So I, I think it's much more just yeah. about the joy of that, you know, that connection. Really Would something. you do theater again? Are you kidding? It's the greatest thing in the world. The only thing wrong with it is you can't pay your mortgage on what they pay you. That's what that's what's wrong with theater. And and, and you know, it's wrong. Yeah. It's wrong. Because yeah. it's so much fun. It's so much fun to go, so much fun to do. And they they just need to make money off of it. I hear you. Okay, so now tell us about before we go, tell us about how you guys came to be. <laughs> she was my parole officer. Oh ha. Very funny. Careful, don't kick the thing. Do you want are you no, lying no. back? Are you yeah, don't he's lying just... back. This is your story. Okay. Um I was working for Jonathan Crane uh, and MCG. We managed John Travolta and, and Howie Mandel and some other Mike Figgis and stuff. And I was um, VP of talent and packaging. And I was also acting in their films. And um, I was in New York and, and Florida doing a movie. Mm -hmm. And I was booked on MGM Grand Airlines to come back to LA. In those days, you could change your ticket anytime. So right. I took my ticket and then finished my work and changed it back to what it had been, ran to the airport, no makeup, you know, the wrong clothes and whatever. And I happened to be seated next to Eric and he had a cat on his lap and a carrier. In those days, you didn't bring your animals on with you. I thought that was very nice of him. The cat's name was Tender. And, um, and you know, he had a big bottle of water. A chick magnet. And I... <laughs> But for sure he was gay um you know so i don't know what he was trying to magnetize but so she felt safe I did. um i had the script intersection which was written by my father and i put it under the seat because i was like oh god i'm sitting next to an actor i never really seen his movies but i was also a casting director and an actress so it was my responsibility to know who he was right um but I hadn't really seen them because I just like romantic comedies and he hadn't done any. <laughs> I just thought, oh, he does those violent films. But he, his um, year of being nominated for an Oscar was the same year that my dad won an Oscar for Out of Africa. So I'd seen him on the Oscars that year. Oh. Anyway, so I just thought, oh, I don't want to talk shop. I'm going to hide my script. He was so nice. Eventually we took out our scripts and, um, and he saw the name on mine and Eddie Bunker, who wrote Runaway Train, knew David Grayfield pretty well, my, my father. And Eric was aware of his work. And so that kind of broke the ice. We started talking. And, you know, we talked about a million things. It was just that kind of thing. That very night, Jeffrey Dean Morgan was my nanny at the time. And he was taking care of my kids while I was gone. Walking dead. Um, yeah, and, and she knows who Jeffrey Dean Morgan is. That every, every, all the people listening probably do. And... Um, and I got home from the airport and I had to go immediately to do a performance. I was in a play and um, Jeff comes outside and he's like, lies. Um, I mean, I went and hugged my kids and everything. I was leaving for the play. Wait, wait, wait. I owe this all to Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Go ahead. Yeah. So he's like, lies, phone call for you. And I was like, I can't be late for I'm performing. I, I, take a message. Who is it? He said, Eric. And I was like, oh, I don't know anybody named Eric. I mean, I just met him. I didn't realize. And, um, he says, he covers the thing. And he says, dude, this sounds like Eric Roberts. 
And I'm not going to tell Eric Roberts that you're not coming to the phone. He knows I'm talking to you. He can hear us. <laughs> I risk my life in that fashion. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I do. But know because he said it sounds like Eric Roberts. Oh, yeah, I met him on the plane. Yeah. He took the call. I was like, I do. If know he Eric hadn't said that, I wouldn't have called back. I gave it a shot. Hey, yeah, I wouldn't call Really? Back. You think? No, probably not. Probably not. I know me. I uh, I give everything a shot. So Eric was on set. And especially, it's a guy answers the phone, you know? Right. Yeah, and was, you didn't know who the guy was that was answering the phone, right? That was a good thing you didn't talk to him. And yeah. Hang up. But Eric was on set. He says, come visit me on set. This was a Sunday night. And, um, and, and I said, why well, I'm doing a performance. He said, come afterwards. I said, where are you? He said, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, okay. This was days of DPS, email, check my email, call sheet. And I was like, he said, downtown somewhere. Downtown LA is impossible not to get lost, even with DPS, email. <laughs> right. Right. He's like, you know my agent, call her. And I was like, oh, she's going to love that. And I did. And I did know her and I did call her and Sunday night she's like, well, Liza, what? And I'm like, Eric invited me to come to set. Do you know where he's shooting? Cause he's there, but has no idea. She's like, I don't know, all this stuff's in the office. Cause you couldn't check electronically. Right. She's like, just drive around downtown. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> and she said, I think it's, well, I don't know. I just, you know, it was a Cynthia. She's like, I don't know. Maybe can I call you back? But again, there's no cell phone. Where was she going to call me back? Right? Call oh. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Somehow, I don't really remember. There's a missing part to this story. She found me. She found the set. I found him. Yeah. I have goosebumps now here. And I've heard this story before and I have goosebumps. You know, it's pretty crazy. And well, we just it's when things are meant to be, which I believe in. But anyway, yeah, there's just a strong. And I was, you know, we were both headed to Europe on almost exactly the same day after that. I was going to France and Italy. He was going to Italy. He was going to shoot. I was going because my ex-husband, father of my children, who I'm really close to to this day, um, was doing a movie there. He's like, why don't you guys come over? This is crazy. They, I have this wonderful flat in Paris. Bring the kids, you know? And so I was doing that. Um, and um, it was really, it, it, Eric tried the same thing there too, by the way. He somehow got in touch with me through his agent this time and said, while you're in Europe, come over to Italy and see me. Where are you going to be? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to just drive around Italy. I didn't do that one. But um, but yeah, we just sort of been together ever since. And not only together, but it's not only that you guys are, are, are partners and, and marriage partners, love partners, but you work to, I mean, you are essential to each other's whole career life every part of your lives it's so great when i made her the boss it's so great when i made her the boss because you know uh uh agencies um you know they only only tell you what they what they want you to know and 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 the only thing to really understand about an agent or an agency is this what eight-year-old boy have you ever met who wants to grow up to be an agent they want to grow up to be an actor or an actress or producer or director or a writer. And they fail and they become an agent by default. So they aren't happy anyway. Oh and, then, and then you have all these actors who want this unhappy failure to work for them and are always complaining. Right. So why wouldn't they? So they don't like us to start with. You can't blame them. And so, 
So, so I, I like found out that I had an agent who wasn't like you know, telling me about all the, all the, all the small goodies. Cause I like small goodies. And so I fired the agency and I came home that day and I said, okay, you're the boss. And she goes, I don't know if I can do this. And I said, of course you can. You've been doing it anyway. And, uh, and we, we and it's, I, nobody, nobody works more than you. Nobody, nobody else has 56 projects in the can in cooking right now in COVID. Nobody, nobody. And, um, I don't know if that's good. And I also have to tell you this because, because it, it, it just occurred to me too, but this is something else that I learned from my wife about probably 20% of all the movies you know, that I make now, one out of five, is for some young little filmmaker who, who has $20,000 to make a movie. And uh, she would give me to him. And when this first started happening, I'm like, do I have time for this? Come on, what are you doing? <laughs> you, do, you do a lot of music videos also, right? Yeah, but that's 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 a whole mainstream. Yeah, that, that's that's, that's yeah. mainstream. That's Rihanna and the killers. Oh, okay. okay, I mean that's what's and so Ryan funny Carey when you think about it. Yeah, that the music videos are the big stuff <laughs> as compared to these. Okay, I gotcha. So so these these uh, these guys who need 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 a name to get the loan from the bank or whatever it is, and she uh, she gives them to me, and and. It was kind of irritating at first. Like, I don't have time for this, honey. But then I look forward to it now. It's so much fun to go help these kids. Wow. And, and I, I, don't, I don't boss them. I don't jump on the set and act like a movie star. I just go there and I'm an employee. And they, and they, and they boss around all night. And then I go home. And uh, it, it's, just, it's just so much fun. I got to tell you. Have any of those guys made good? Any of those people made good? Any of them? Very good broke? question. They will. They will. Well, you know, hold on. That's a really good question because we've been doing this for a while. We were yeah. in a movie there called Love is a Gun, and I just heard that that director isn't really directing anymore. You know, there, let's put it this way. There are a lot of people we've worked with where we knew they were going to skyrocket, like Jeff Morgan. That's a yeah, good example. Yeah, like Jeff Morgan. Um, in various capacities, whether as writers, directors, or our, our lawyer, Jeff, Jeff Frankel, uh, has really the best screenwriters in history and it got a lot of them as young saplings you know um so, some of them have i'm trying to think if there's anybody where it's like oh my god now he's so and so um a lot of them haven't but they're still doing really well they're mm -hmm. prolific and they work a lot and mm -hmm. we turn these into family affair too my daughter does the catering often they use keaton's oh. music um, we, we try really hard not to look at the stratas of success that way, um, because the whole mega success thing is so toxic and can, well, can really take well, you away from enjoying your life. Here's what really puts it into perspective. About eight months ago, everybody was unemployed overnight. Bang! Everything stopped. Right. We were all even. <laughs> Everybody's even. And that kind of fell all in perspective. We slowly started coming back a little bit at a time, and we're still coming back, and we're having 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 big impulses in the comeback, what have you. But we're all even, and it puts all all movies are movies. It doesn't matter. They can be big, they can be small. They are movies, and they are fun, and they're entertainment, and they're essential. I'm an essential worker. I found out. You, you know, you are, because entertainment, when we don't have it, I mean, you know, like right now I'm scratching for something new to, to binge on 
because uh, I think I watched everything there is to binge right now. But what I love about, I love a lot of things about you guys, but what I, I, I love here is that you're a movie star, but you're a working actor. First and foremost, you're a working actor. And well, uh, my, my wife and I call our technique when we teach, we call it working actor. Wow. Well, there you go. That, that's, that's pretty, uh, that's, that's, wow, that's lovely. Somebody was saying how much you they love Virgin Virgin River? River. You have to binge on Virgin River. Have you watched it? No. Uh-uh. Oh, there you Which, go. What's that on? Virgin River. On well, what? Not that I know how to find anything. <laughs> oh, okay. Look it up on IMDb and IMDb will tell you where to find the actual okay, show. Yeah, well, oh, you're going to go nuts. Perfect. Because I, I'm like, I feel like I've watched everything that I want to see. And I just want to say that I met you guys because Eliza and I, well, Eliza had a, a, a pivotal role. I had a, um, in uh, Henry Jagham's The M Word. And that's where um, I first came to meet you. And I met Eric at the cast. And again, Eric didn't want to be there. Eric was like a wallflower at the premiere. Like put, you were the, and the fact that you guys walk through this together with such grace and such, as I started this show saying, with so much respect, mutual respect is so beautiful to, to, uh, to witness. Um, and, and I also want to personally thank you because you guys had me on your T radio T radio V was that what it was called show years ago. And I ended up getting a show on his thing later and which became this. And, um, so I thank you for that. And also Eliza read the prologue to my book, Don't Jump, Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll, My Fucking Mother, which was originally titled, Why is Julia Roberts Living My Life? And Eliza no. read that no. prologue on the air on that show that day uh, before the book was even out. But I, I just, you know, I was going to start getting into it with you about Keaton. And, and but I'll talk to Keaton about the stuff that you guys have with Keaton next yeah. week. But I, I so adore you both and have so much respect for you as artists and as as business people, but your humanity and your love for each other is a gorgeous thing to behold. And I'm so grateful for your friendship and to have you in my life. And thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Oh, are you kidding? We love you. Like we really that look so forward nice. to this. Thanks. And I know Keaton does too. This is a no-brainer, Vicky. And also all your people. I mean, I I become and stayed really good friends with a lot of people I met at your house. Oh, yes, yeah. you guys did Women Who Write. I didn't even mention that. Look, look, yeah. look who's in our lap. <laughs> Wait, you're, you're, they have weird names. What's their names? Her name is Stevie. Stevie Nicks. And she's oh, Stevie Nicks. All right, I knew there was something to it. Guess, yeah. guess who she's named after. I can't imagine. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, when you guys were coming for Women Who Write, the first time you were supposed to come, uh, Eric canceled that morning and I had like a bit of a nervous breakdown and, uh, and Eliza got you to, to give me a voicemail that I then played to the, the room of, of 65 people so they would believe me because you promised you'd come back. And it took a little while, but you did. Was, 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 was it a good voicemail? It was a great, I actually, you know, I had it on my phone. You know what happens when you get a new phone and they screw yeah. up, like I kept it for years and then I got the new phone and I don't have it anymore, but it was great. It was great. You know, I think I actually have it on my iTunes. I think I found a way to save it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
But anyway, thank you guys so much. I just adore you. And I can't wait to be in the same room with you. And uh, I'll be watching everything coming up. Thank you so much. Yeah, sending love to everybody watching. Mwah, we love you guys. You too, Vic. See you soon. Bye, sweetheart. Bye.